Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Tour Catch-Up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Coco Goff wins the biggest title of her career. Dan Evans' dream run in DC. And Dominic Team makes his first ATP final since 2020. Chris, today is the 7th of August and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. Washington DC is over the first ever ATP and WTA combined 500 event. Coco Goff and Britain's own Dan Evans are your champions. Stefanos Sissipas took the title in Los Cabos and Dominic Team had a very nearly dream run in his home tournament in Kitzbühel, making an ATP final. And we had a Monday finish in Prague. There is loads and loads to talk about, Rogers Cup included. And what I love at the moment, Chris, is that it genuinely is 24-hour tennis. It's very hard to be able to manage it, I have to say. I mean, for me, I'm used to live streaming events whilst at tournaments, if there's a <laughs> WTA event on anywhere. Um, but I mean, it's it's tennis round the clock. I think that was even uh, a notification I got on my phone, which was <laughs> 24 hours of tennis um, on tennis, tennis TV or tennis channel. And I just thought, goodness, I mean people need to think about their sleep balance and how this affects their working lives because right now it's pretty addictive. Well, I thought it was going to genuinely be 24-hour tennis for Linda Noskova because, as I say, she played in the Prague final today. She was scheduled to be in the main draw um, in the Rogers Cup in Montreal. So I was thinking... Well, yeah, how do you get the quickest flight uh, all the way through to, to Canada from the Czech Republic? But but she has drawn out. So she's not she's obviously not a fan of of living and breathing 24 hour tennis. Maybe she checked the weather forecast because, as you say, it's not looking good in Montreal <laughs> at all. No. And the weather wasn't good where she was in Prague. So maybe just cut your losses and fly somewhere a bit sunnier if you're Linda. I would have looked at the forecast and thought, hang on, this this has bought me some time here. I'm going to make that flight and uh, hope the organizers are, are nice to me. Yeah, you could play your next first round in a week from today. Who knows? <laughs> well, I mean, we've got we've got so much to talk about. We're going to be talking about Rogers Cup in the second half because I'm really excited because Caroline Wozniacki is back. I don't know how that is going to go, but um, in Denmark, I mean, people are waving flags in the street. Well, yes, I mean, of course. I might have people I mean, around to celebrate. I mean, we can talk about the the reaction in in Denmark because I would love um, to hear that. But we're going to be talking about all the events from this week um, in the first half, and um, we weren't short on action but before we get into that um what has been your highlight of the week uh, so far well on, on the subject of comebacks joel mine is a certain anna shakvatatse who actually does come up more often than you think on the podcast for someone who hadn't played a match <laughs> since 2012 because kim does like to go out mm. while saying anna shakvatatse on a par for the courts great player great player um, and she was actually appearing for the first time in 10 years on an entry list for an ITF 15K out in Belgium. And there's a couple of other um, events out there that she's on the list for. So was well, very excited by this news, really was looking forward to it, was checking my live scores up. And I find out that as excited as I am, she isn't actually getting to play this week. Um the tournament organisers decided that they were going to give the wild card to local talent instead, um, giving Ooh, it to... Big call. I, I mean, it was five local uh, talents uh, that the board gave it to. Um, and they seemed to kind of say that it just felt like she was sort of just picking up a racket so she could play a bit of tennis. Um, and they wanted to focus on people who might have a career starting in tennis. So a little bit of a debate there. But initially, very excited to see her on the entry list. But it is poles apart from Wojciechowski. I would have thought tournament organiser, if I'm in their shoes, 
I could have got the inside scoop here. You know, this this news broke. I felt like it was all of a sudden. I was very surprised and shocked because you normally hear there sort of be some sort of long lead up and then it and then it happens. But this came out of nowhere. And I would have thought maybe the tournament organizers would like to, to have capitalized on this for what, let's be honest, a pretty kind of low profile, low profile event. I mean, personally, I'd have given her the world card without question. Former world number five. Who wouldn't want that in your draw? Former semi-finalist. I mean, she reached three quarter, uh, two quarterfinals, one semi-final in 07. Uh, she had some fantastic results. And yeah, she can really play tennis. And I imagine that no offense to kind of Twilf, um, Jerome, um, or kind of Vicky van der Peers, who are both kind of outside the world's top 700 but maybe if she hasn't picked up a racket since she retired she still would have a good chance so um seems like a missed opportunity but fingers crossed we can give you an update next week and she's back out there on the tour i feel like we're never short of itf events uh for players to play in so i'm sure there is going to be some draw or wild cards for returning players because i mean normally everyone gets one i would love to see that i mean it's it'd be fascinating as you said we've you know had caroline wozniacki back kim clysters that generation maybe serena williams included they do not know the meaning of the word retirement do they well i mean i think they don't know the meaning of it but also i think um they, they're addicted to it. They love it. So I think maybe with this, it's more um, not an addiction for Shaq Fatat. So I feel like maybe she's just t- dipping her toe back in. Whereas I feel like with the Wozniacki, I mean, it's full scale. She looks like she's ready for anything. She wants to take on the new people and, and prove a point, I feel. I think so. But wh- where was your attention this week? What, did, what was your highlight, Joel? Well, mine also was on the uh, the women's tour. And uh, it was it was on Iga Shiontek, actually, because she was photographed in... Montreal training she's the top seed there but she was papped on the practice courts with tape over her mouth and I have this was very bizarre I'd never seen this before I was a bit confused what's going on here because my instinct reaction was maybe if you're like grunting and and you wanted to sort of suppress that noise maybe this was a technique to do that but apparently it's to do with nasal breathing and uh which which has benefits it helps you recover faster and you know there's science out there that suggests that maybe it can even increase your performance but um yeah that is a completely new one on me but a really fascinating insight i feel into kind of the lengths top level athletes go to to try and get one up on their competition I didn't know that it helped with your kind of endurance and your heart rate, mm. but I guess it kind of makes sense. It's a bit like when you do yoga, you know, you're supposed to breathe through your nose because then your heart rate doesn't increase so much. So um, it sounds like she's trying to do some on-court meditation, but sometimes it doesn't look like her heart rate has to get up much at all to come through a tennis match. So um, maybe she is just an autopilot, Joel. I do. Lo- well, I do love. I mean, it's, it feels like she's open to new ideas and experimenting. And when you're at number one and, you know, everyone is is gunning for your ranking um, and all your all your trophies i feel like you've always got to maybe break the mold a little bit and i quite i quite like this but it's very it's very innovative and very kind of as i say kind of caused eyebrows i think to be raised across uh, the tennis community so uh, she's been doing it for a while though she did say this is not a oh, new thing okay. this is the first time people have spotted it so i think um for her um Maybe that's the reason for our success rather than kind of mm. the reason it was uh, the to- tape i'm i'm waiting yeah. for it final rogers cup Montreal in a week's time it was the gaffer tape that won it I can, I can yeah. see it now I think it's masking tape <laughs> <laughs> right um let's talk let's talk Washington DC now because this was a combined event ATP and WTA 500 level first time this has ever ever happened um we're going to start with the men's event and uh, Dan Evans Dan Evans who is now the world number 21 defeated Talon Griechspor Straight set, 7-5, 6-3. There was a little bit of a rain stoppage, but they got it done in the end. Chris, this was a final no one was expecting. Dan Evans has been on an awful losing streak over, well, over the last few months. He's lost eight out of his last nine matches. His 2023 record is 1-11, lost 18. And all of a sudden, he, he does this and wins his first ever ATP 500 final. Where 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 did this come from? All I can say is when you step on court with Andy Murray, magic can happen. Inspired by that doubles first round doubles, win. Yeah. Um, having fun on court again, maybe. That's where I think a lot of players that kind of get that success, I do think it does come from 
being able to relax and kind of play your best game, whether it is on the doubles court like Garcia or Kyrgios has found. Um, I do think there's got to be, there's got to be something in that because last week in Atlanta, that lost, uh, um, I think it was, was it Dominic um, Kofner in the, where he was, it was almost heartbreaking loss. And you just think, I did not think he'd be picking himself up like this. So I think it's an unbelievable achievement because um, if anything, I thought that would really be, um, and a lot of people were asking, like, is it time to take some time away? Um, and I think he proved that all of us wrong. And for me, what was most impressive about this was that it was almost like all of that scar tissue from potentially not having a great season was just wiped away. I mean, some of the numbers that he was pulling that week um, in the final, he won 98% of first serve points and he made 74% of first serves. He wasn't broken. Incredible. It was lights out tennis all week. Um, and I think that he played so well, I'll even forgive him for his trainer socks, Joel. <laughs> you have a real issue with the, the tra- trainer socks. I call them ankle socks. Ankle socks, yes. That, that he wears on court. Because, yeah, it is, it is quite distinctive. It's hard not to notice maybe that is his uh maybe that is his magic that's power his tape. But... that's his tape <laughs> <laughs> but but i mean yeah he had some great wins throughout the week you know for me the highlights were his quarterfinal and semi-final he defeated francis tiafo in straight set six four seven five and then he defeated grigor dimitrov who i think has been playing more consistently better tennis than him across the season again defeated him in in straight sets to make the final and talon scrooge sports had a, a great you know, has had a great season. He had that, you know, he won that ATP title at home in, in Sir Hotogenbosch. So he, he took out Taylor Fritz as well in the semi. So he's taken out some very handy players. And, you know, at 33 years old, he is on the cusp of getting back, well, make cracking really, the, the, the top 20. Did you think he had this level of, of tennis in him? I know we talk about the fact that, you know, he's he's hadn't been on a terrible run of form recently and now he's just seemingly kind of pulled it out the bag. Did you have you seen a level of tennis, do you think, this week that has been above what, what you've ever seen of, of of a Dan Evans? Well, I mean, I think he played some of the best tennis I've ever seen him play. I think there's never been a point in time where anyone's sort of doubted his talent, even when he has kind of had some of the trials and tribulations of his career you know obviously there was that one year ban he had as well and people always said like how high can he go it was definitely a case that people thought he definitely had top 20 tennis in him um and so I think he's completely corrected that story in terms of people ever thinking he didn't achieve his potential because I think when you see him play like this and on the cusp of the top 20 you have to think that he has top 20 tennis in him and at times he can challenge some of the best of the game you know he's beaten Novak Djokovic on clay um, one of the few losses that Novak Djokovic has had in recent seasons. So um, his caliber is kind of undeniable, but I do think it's always the mental side with him. Um, I mean, he's talked about like a while ago, I think he said his psychologist described as one of the angriest people he'd ever met because of his, the way that he thinks and some of his... Um, no, he's uh, just from Birmingham. He's just from the Midlands. That's just how Yeah, maybe it was a translation thing. Maybe it's like a <laughs> Californian psychologist. But um, I do think it's the temperament side of things. So for me, the, yeah. the biggest shock from this is that he took what was probably one of the most kind of um, soul-destroying losses of his career and turn it into something so positive, having had sort of a difficult track record sometimes with keeping um, everything straight between the ears. So unbelievably impressive. But I have to say, when we were WhatsApping this week, Joel, I don't think any of us thought this would be the end result of the tournament. It's um, no. quite something. No, and I, I do agree. I think um, what I've really liked when I've, I've watched him on court this week is the positive outlook that he's had because he's had moments where he's been in, in real trouble facing facing break points and on the cusp of, of going a breakdown or maybe even losing a set. But he always seems to bounce back. And I think... You know, in the in the losses I've seen of him recently, I think he's got down on himself too much and he's been overwhelmed, I feel, by that negative energy. And as a result, the matches have just got away from him. But I've really been impressed with, you know, how he's kind of openly kind of communicating with his box. He's being more positive. He's looking to be more assertive. And I think, you know, he's a very tricky player, I think, on his day. I love his his slice backhand still stays so, so low. Effective. It's so, so effective. So effective, isn't there. it? Exactly. But he also, I think, closes the net very, very well. And I think that's a very underrated and underappreciated part of his game. Although, and I, although I think he can, you know, look to uh, attack players, I think his defensive qualities this week really kind of shone for me. And, you know, some of the, the best points I've seen from him has been kind of passing shots and 
players trying to hit winners against him whilst he's at the net and he's just basically been like you shall not pass and he's had such great coverage so um his fitness Joel it must be we must speak on that because you say 33 I think 33 must be the new 23 because it seems like he's kind of taken something that Novak Djokovic has taken because physically in fantastic shape because the conditions were they looked really quite challenging the whole week I mean as a spectator, I think you almost needed some sort of... Um, I think Coker was encouraging people to have water because of how hot it was. Mm. There um, were so many, it felt like... Well, not loads, but like there was definitely more than one like medical emergency in the crowd, which you, you never want to see. But I, I don't know if it's me, but I always feel like you see and hear more of those instances when, when we do get to the North American hardcore swing. I mean, there was a couple when I was at Wimbledon um this year and i think that's probably because someone drank too much so maybe it's because (laughs) it is genuinely heat related over there as opposed to in the uk but um no a fantastic achievement and something that i was gonna ask you about so we'll be dropping off a few points um when it comes to uh, results that he got last year um at the rogers cup and so i think he'll be maybe down to somewhere around 30 but do you think that he will be able to kind of end the season in top 20 and have that top 20 kind of season end ranking I I personally don't see why not. I don't think there's much difference um, between like top 20 and, and top 30 at the moment. So I think with the, the confidence that he will have take from from Washington and the fact that this is at the start of the, you know, the very start of the, the North American hardcore swing with, you know, Cincinnati to come, Rogers Cup to come, US Open to come, where there's going to be potentially more points um, available beyond um, a 500. I don't I don't see why not. And I think the other question to ask is, dare I say, you know, Cam Norrie lost in the first round of, or, or sorry, lost his first match in, in Los Cabos. He's also a little bit on a, I'd say on a downward trajectory at the moment since Wimbledon. There might be even a, a little bit of an overlap potentially to a, a new British number one in, in Dan Evans. Well, there's a, a lot of British competition. I think that's something that's definitely true for the LTA. They definitely support each other, but they do like to beat each other. So mm. it'll be interesting to see how that one sort of pans out. I think I've seen this before from Dan Evans when he has got that big result, that it is so hard to back it up. So I will forgive him if there's an early entr- uh, exit in Toronto um, this week. But I do think come Cincinnati and come the US Open, that's a tough third round draw for someone if he's not ranked in the top 16 by that point. I agree. I also think Talon Griegspoor is, is going to be a player no one is going to be wanting to face at, at the US Open because he has a very similar game, I feel, to, to Dan Evans. And again, he had a very good week coming through Taylor Fritz, particularly in that semi-final. So I think he's going to be another player just no one, no one is going to want to face. Um Moving on to the women's side um, of the draw in Washington, we had Coco Goff defeat Maria Sakkari in the final 6-2, 6-3. This was her first ever title on home soil. It was the biggest title of her career. Chris, what did you make of this? Because there's been so much criticism, I feel, of, of Coco Goff this season, particularly of her forehand and her serving and everything in between. Was this result, was this week the best sort of retort and, and repost to all of those critics? I honestly think that it, it wouldn't really kind of cross cross her mind in that way. I think she's just playing her game and improving her game. And this is kind of a testament to that. She's so inspired playing in front of a US crowd. Um, and she just got up to a great start and she never looked back. And uh, I've been looking at quite a lot of her training um, when there's been kind of some videos from it. And it's very clear to me that she's really working on that forehand. Um, and although it can still be a bit cagey at times, it just shows you just how good the rest of her game is. She's an incredible mover. When the server's on, it's so effective. Um, and I just think that, you know, I p- did pick Coco to win Wimbledon. I did think she was playing some fantastic tennis coming into Wimbledon and just got a very tough draw against inspired Sophia Kennan. And um, it's great to see her get a result well, like she this. She disappointed. She let you down. Is that what you're saying in your predictions? So she's she's trying to make she up could, for it in she Washington. She could never disappoint me. No way. I think, um, <laughs> especially when she's 19 and we're still talking about this as though, I mean, I've seen it in some of the headlines. She finally wins a 500 or she finally does this. And you're like, she's 19. Um, and she's already such a... Uh, a regular presence in the top 10 and at the at the end the business end of tournaments so I'm um, super happy for her in this one and I think um, let's just hope she can bring this form forward because it feels like her season has got this trajectory that's really starting to build some momentum and um, the way that she dismantled Maria Sakkari in that final 
um, she was a woman on a mission. Um, and I think there was no sort of doubts about what she was trying to do and execute on the day. And sometimes we've seen a, a bit of um, hesitation there from her. So for me, it was just kind of Coco 2.0 in terms of how she was playing um, and the game that she was she was executing. No sets dropped. Uh, she beat three, I think, top 20 players. Um, and she's had a pretty, pretty bad record against top 10 players so far. I think someone uh, said she lost the last seven. So all of it's coming together. And let's hope that her uh, hard court swing continues to, to build momentum. Yeah, and it's interesting because she has changed up her coaching setup recently. She's brought on Spanish player Per Reba, who I think was working with Ching Wang Zheng um, into her setup. Um, and she's also brought back Brad Gilbert on as well, who's a you know big time American player, great coach, was with Andy Murray in his, in his formative years, coached Andre Agassi, Andy Roddick. Um, so it also seems to be like that change up um, is being quite fruitful quite early on and although I think it's still in like a a trial period I think they've kind of extended with with Brad Gilbert into the Rogers Cup it seems to be that it's working really really well for Coco Goff what what do you think in terms of her game what do you think are the the tools in her in her toolbox that you have seen improved over you know in Washington that has got her to this point where she has won the biggest title of her career I think we all know she's got the game. So for me, it's a mentality. And so I think Brad Gilbert is such a fantastic addition to her team because he did literally write the book on winning ugly. Yeah, great book. So when your forehand's not working, when you're hitting the double faults, it's about finding a way to win. It's not always about playing your best level of tennis. It's about beating the player in front of you and not beating yourself. And that's almost exactly what Coco needs at times. And so I think um, it's a great, great matchup. And um, it seems like this new coaching setup is something that's really kind of given her that extra extra oomph, a little bit of a different way of thinking about things maybe because um, it's come so soon after this sort of um, transition and she's been working with Patrick Mortoglu as well at times um, and it feels like maybe the sum of all of these sort of different influences have really helped her um, kind of get the results this week and it does make you think that maybe, and we do talk about this a lot, that Maria, uh, Maria Sakkari could also do with a bit of a coaching shake-up and I don't know what you think about that, Joel. Yeah, it's it's a tough one because because you, you know she had that awful she's had that awful record in semi-finals and she got to another semi-final here and and actually she won it. She beat you know Jesse Pagula in the the top seed in in three sets and I was like, oh my god, Maria Sakkari's back and you know when we had that matchup between Sakkari and Goff going into it, I was to be honest, I was actually a bit like I'd like both of them to win because Sakkari has also got. Her critics, I think, you know, like Coco Goff, particularly when it comes to the business end of tournaments and her record. And you do have to look at her record in finals and it's it's just no good. She's lost seven finals out of eight, six in a row now. When I was watching this match, I was just kind of thinking, is it just mental for, for Sakari in this moment that it's just sort of overwhelming her? And as a result, she's not able to play her best tennis or was it more actually Coco Goff on her day is just a better tennis player than Maria Sakkari and Sakkari needs to go back to go back to the practice court and, and fine tune her, her technique in order to compete with these top level players that she's going to meet in the final. Where do you think it stands? Do you think it's mental? Do you think it's actually technical or do you think it's maybe even a little bit of both? I think that there are more technical potential shortcomings in Coco's game and I'm saying that with an asterisk because there's not I mean she's a mm. fantastic player she's a top 10 player um it's just because there's so much expectation there that we do put this microscope over Coco when it comes to these things um with Sakura we do all know it's a mental thing the record speaks for itself and we all know how well she can play yeah. so there were, I mean there were tears in that presentation weren't there afterwards I think she's all too aware of all these statistics that you know, commentators like to to draw upon when she she does get to this stage, and it, it 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 just can't be good for her, can it? It can't. But we are we are also guilty of doing the same. And I think I listened to a very interesting interview with her where she kind of said, "Well, a lot of people would love to have reached seventeen semifinals or whatever number it is, or eight finals." And um, it's so true in that respect. But I think the the reason why there is that that um, negative connotation to it is because we all know how good she can play. Um, how well she can play. Um, and so I think that's the only frustration there. And I think when someone keeps their coaching set up and everything the same and it doesn't take them to the next level, I think that's when you have to think about if that's the right decision because um, 
I think for most people, it's glaringly obvious that introducing some differences in the coaching setup, you could keep um, Tom at the same time, um, but it's obviously not getting you a grand slam. And it depends on, are you here to win tennis matches or are you here to win big tournaments? And I think that's a question that I would be asking Maria Sakari at this point of her career. Well, there was Greek success this week in Los Cabos because Stefanos Sissipas won the 250 out there. He defeated Alex de Menor in the final 6-3, 6-4. I'm not really sure there's too much to say about this, Chris. Apart from the thing that surprised me most, this was Stefanos Sissipas's first ATP title on outdoor hard courts, which took me which took me by surprise and then you know I looked at his record at the US Open it isn't actually that great he's he's reached the third round um he's reached the third round twice why do you think Sissipas on outdoor hard arguably up to this moment hasn't really lived up to what he's been producing on the other court surfaces yeah I think his game I mean he obviously has played a lot on clay growing up um and I think it's clear that that's a very comfortable surface for him um, I also think that the nature of indoor tennis works well for him because he is prone to a few shanks on outdoor courts, you have to say, because of uh, the nature of his game. So he does have some timing issues. So I would probably say it's something to do with that as to why he hasn't had more success on outdoor courts. But having said that, I mean, at the US, uh, at the Australian Open, he's had plenty of success. I mean, he's had semifinals there. Um, in the past, I do think there's probably something that sort of connects with um, the fact that I think Ash Barty's former coach said that the nature of the US Open and the type of ball they actually play with there, um, I, I believe it's um, a US Open Wilson ball. Um, but I think that that might not be the same as the moment. But I do think there's something about the conditions where if you do mix up your shots and the variety, it definitely is not the slam that favours you the most. Um, we've seen that from the types of winners that we've had there. Um, it's hard to break through unless you are one of those sort of big hitters in some of those places. So um, for me, that's probably what it's connected to. But also, I don't think he does necessarily prioritise this part of the season. He would normally be in, in Hamburg um, on the clay. So when he is playing the big uh, Masters tournaments, um, not everyone gets one of those outdoor wins. So for me, it's not as surprising as it sounds. But again, I did have to double check that. And we've also got Mark Philippoussis back on the scene because he was effectively ditched by Sissipas, um, you know, a few months ago. It was a, well, apparently it was a mutual decision. But but all of a sudden, Philippoussis has been, has been back. He's He was in the player box um, in, in Los Cabos for Sissipas. What do you make of this? Do you think this is a smart move or why do you think there's been a, a change of heart from from Sissipas and what, what feels like quite a quick change of heart as well? It is a big turnover. I do think it was probably a bit of a, a knee-jerk reaction to what might be a an internal conflict within the family would be my mm. suggestion. I'm not privy to internal workings of families, so this is only speculation. Um, but I do think it's probably quite likely that, that it came from some of the um, the on-court, you know, you can see there's on-court aggro there yeah. every match, and it's it's never easy. And so... Well, I feel like the elephant in the room is that Sissipas plays better tennis when Apostolos, his dad, is not in the player box. And you can put the Los Cabos title as as proof of that. Completely. And I think um, he said that his father will only be at the slams now is kind of what's been said. Um, and I think that this this will be beneficial. I think when Philippoussis, it was announced that he was splitting, uh, we all thought this was not a positive step given some of the scenes we've seen on court um, between him and his family. So... Smart move. I think it was not necessarily a smart move to rehire him. I think it's a smart move to keep him in your camp. Um, but nevertheless, I think obviously it's, it's another example of um, get the coaching situation right and the results come. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the two of them can do when he finally makes it to the US, well, to Canada, uh, North America. Because um, feel, I feel like he's been all over the place, but it'd be good to see him play against some top players and see where his level really is at. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see. As I say, the Sissipas coaching dynamic is always like a bit of a theatre and a bit of a, a sideshow. And um, just with Philippoussis this week, it feels like maybe he's just been able to focus and concentrate on his tennis and 
as a result, um, it's got the best out of him and he you know, went on to win the title. Another player who won a title this week was Sebastian Baez in Kitzbühel. He defeated Dominic Team in a pretty pretty straightforward final, it has to be said, 6-3, 6-1. But Chris, what do you make of this? Do you Can I say like Dominic Team is back? I know I feel like I've said that like a million times or do you think this is just like, I mean... It had to happen here in the sense like this is the last clay court event of the season. Most players are already thinking about the hard courts or even in North America already. If this, if there was one draw that was going to really play to your advantages being at home and on clay, it was this one. Yes, I think that's a very important point to make because the tournaments out in Austria and in Prague for 250 tournaments is probably about as weak as the the field Mm. has ever been. I think everyone has made the shift over. I think the scheduling's a bit different this year. Should these events even exist? I think it's a week too long. I think it is. I think this is um, definitely even the players who are playing back-to-back on clay. I think some of them are getting injured at this stage. Um, and then obviously it affects you being able to go and play on the hard court. So for me, and it's the same players, but gradually more and more of them transfer to the hard court. So it just gets weaker and weaker in the field. So um, in terms of team's performance, I mean, we have to also say he was a wild card at this tournament. This is where his ranking is at now. Um, is this a great performance from a wild card at a home tournament? Yes, this is a great story for a Dominic team. Can I get excited? The way he was dismantled in that final, obviously he played an absolute marathon semi-final, but I, I, I really can't because this isn't the team of old. Um, this is a nice celebration of a good result for a player who's really struggling to find form. But when everyone kind of got on the hype train of he's made a final, it's the final of the lowest level. Um, you are so ATP. harsh. You I don't are think, so harsh. I don't think it's harsh because I think anyone who watched the matches will know that every match with team you have moments where you think he's back moments where he's not and now we're we're three years past that US Open triumph so I think for me personally um I would rather um see see him play great tennis consistently than kind of pretend that one tournament and he, he's back to where he is so I hope it's a building block we've said it before I'm taking nothing away from the final but at the same time um I think all of this hype doesn't help him get back to playing. He's at home, home comforts. Let's see what happens next week. The final tournament we had this week was the Prague Open. Chris, this is literally just finished. The rain has been shocking. Hibino, the lucky loser, um, came out on top from Japan. She beat Linda Noskova 6-4-6-1. One of they Kim's favourites. Yeah. They literally had to start this match at like 10.30am, I think, um, this morning. Hibino semi-final didn't get played until Sunday. It then finished like after five minutes uh, this morning. And then they played the final straight after. I mean, this was just like an this was just like an organizer's nightmare, I think, from start to finish. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think Noskova, as I say, Noskova was meant to play in Canada, but she withdrew and then obviously got defeated by Hibino. So um, didn't necessarily, I feel, like pay off. But where would, where would you stand if you're in that position? Like home tournament, got the chance for a home title. But I know bigger points potentially and bigger prize money is lurking a long distance flight away. Would you have withdrawn? She withdrew after the final, I believe. Um, I think it came uh, three about three hours ago, the withdrawal. So um, I think you have to balance your body. Um, and winning the title was obviously mm. where all of her attention was. Um, and getting to a tournament late and not having a hit on the courts, not getting used to the conditions. Um, it's not a good setup. And jet lag is obviously real for many, play- many players. And they have to deal with it on a week-in, week-out basis sometimes. Um, so I do think that... For me, it made sense. Um, but I do just think that, I mean, Ibino, she's one of those players that you, you watch her and she can really make it happen. She's got such solid ground strokes and her third title, she's won um, titles uh, before th- um, in Japan, um, in Tashkent. And she's also um, another lucky loser to win an event. And I saw this, that um, this is now the fifth lucky loser to win a WT event. Um, it's happened... Uh, this year already with um, Tim Afiva, who won in Budapest. Um, and before that, it was Coco Goff and Lintz in 2019. So that also just shows, you you know, Coco Goff picking up a 500 um, at 19. Yeah. And I think she won the doubles in that event as well with uh, 
Katie McNally, I think. I could be wrong well, there. She, she might have, but we're, we're having more of these lucky losers who are coming through because, mm. I mean, it's two in one season for the first time ever. So is that a case that some of these draws are getting a little bit weaker, Joel? Is that what it's saying? Yeah, it's it's tough. If if there is a point in the season where you do think that maybe the quality level dips and the, and the talent is spread too thinly, I think it is in this crossover phase between like hard courts and clay courts um across europe and, and america so um yeah i agree it's uh we'll we'll have to see I've, i think more can be done to be honest at this point in the tour to make the tournaments of a higher higher quality so um yeah we're going to take a quick break now but join us in the second half where we will be discussing all things rogers cup including the return of caroline wozniacki to the tour plus the news that the us open are going to be using video review at this year's event so do not go anywhere hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we are going to move on to Par for the Courts, Chris. It's a solo edition. Kim is not here today, so it is a solo edition. I always prefer ready? it when Kim's here. I do think it's a team effort. And um, the team is Kim and I against you, because I think at some point, John, you're going to have to step up and do a Par for the Courts for yourself. I know, I know. It doesn't happen that often. I just love doing them. There's so master. much. I you love are, being the that's quiz true, master. Yeah, you are good at it. Yes, I do have one for you. It's in the same vein as last week because I talked to you about Serena Williams and oh. uh, players who she has faced in a Grand Slam final. So mm -hmm. I only thought it was fair to do a male equivalent. So my question for you and our listeners is opponents of Roger Federer in Grand Slam Goodness. singles finals... There are 14 individuals in total. And right. Because this is a solo edition, I am going to set the par score. And historically, I've been way too nice in terms of setting that par score. And I'm going to be really ballsy this time and go with... I want 12 out of 14. Are you joking? Joel? Okay. <laughs> okay. No more 12. Mr. Nice Guy. Right. How are you going to kick us off? Well, I'm going to start... With his first title. Oh, okay. Not going with the, not the more obvious names. Okay. Um, well, it's quite obvious if you listen to this episode. Mark Filippusa springs to mind. Correct. Yes. Mark Filippusa. That was at Wimbledon. Uh, I'm going to... I'm not sure if I'm in order, so I'm just going to say things because <laughs> I've got to get to 12. Um, so Andy Roddick, I know they've played many a final. Correct. Uh, I know that Leighton Hewitt... They played an early final and I think Federer won that one as well correct yes Leighton Hewitt's on the list and now I'm just going to get the easy ones out of the way let's go for a Nadal a Djokovic and a Murray very good yes so that is six so you're you're halfway there I feel like that should be further than half but <laughs> Um, Marin Cilic, they played twice in finals, I believe. Very good. Yes, Marin Cilic is on the list. Because that 2018 Australian Open, oh God, that was, um, what a win <laughs> that was. Um, I was watching that whilst walking around Berlin, Joel. Um, 
he lost the final to Juan Martín del Potro. Very good. Yes, I remember staying up very late when I was at university um, watching that match. Who were you rooting for? I think I was in that sort of, I'm so sick of Roger Federer winning phase. I could never be sick of it. No, I've gone out of that phase now. But yeah, I think I was rooting for Del Potro. But yeah, Del Potro is on the list. So that's eight, eight so far. Every every, uh, Nadal stands favourite player, Robin Soderling. Very good. Robin Soderling is on the list. That is nine. I really think this is a hard one, Joel, I have to say. <laughs> um, the only... I've actually only got one more right now that I'm sure of. Um, I do know that he... So I do... This is when I first got into tennis. Andre Agassi, he beat in the US Open when Agassi was having a, sort of a top 10 resurgence. Andre Agassi... Is a correct answer. Very good. So you have made... You have made double digits... And I this know, is where it gets the... interesting because you, you need two more to get par for the courts. This really is not very easy. Um, I, I'm going to say Marat Safin. I think they played in Australia. Correct. Yes, that is a correct answer. Oh, I've got one more then. One more to get. And okay. actually, <laughs> I'm going to tell my listeners out. I've actually got Nadal's name down here on here twice. So there's actually 13 in total. Okay, so could I have 11 as part? Or okay. I'll try. Well, I'll try. I'll try. Yeah, okay. Okay, I'm going to give you it. I'm going to give you then. That was that's 11. So yes. So I've got two, two to get. There are two left. Yes. The only person that I can think of, I don't remember if he picked up a Wimbledon against Thomas Burdick. That's the only one I can think of that I don't I don't know if that's right, but that's what I'm going with. Thomas Burdick is an incorrect answer, Chris. No, it is not on the list. But I'm going to give you part of the courts anyway because I did I did screw that up at the end because I yeah I did have Nadal on the list twice. Well, I mean, I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> so you were very very close. Any other names that were floating about? I was thinking, Mar- Marcos Bagdatis is one that I was thinking because. I know he made the final in, I think it was in Australia. And I don't, th- I don't think that was Djokovic or Nadal. So that's, that was the only other name I had as a potential. But If you had said Marcos Bagdatis, you would have been correct. He was on the list. Well, that's not good to know, Joel. <laughs> and there was one final answer. Would you, did you get it? Would you have got it? I would not have got it. I, one, of, one of my favourite players growing up, loved his, his attitude on court, loved his forehand. Lloyd one Harris? The, <laughs> one of the biggest forehands, I think, on the, on the tour, as I say, when I was growing up. Fernando Gonzalez. Wow, that is Chilean. a blast from the past. Mm, yes. Got, got to a Grand Slam final. I completely, completely That must be Australia as well that. then, yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, so Philippoussis, Safin, Roddick, Hewitt, Agassi, Bagdatis, Gonzalez, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray, Sodling, Del Potro, and Marin Cilic. Those are your 13. I'm quite pleased with that effort, I have to say, because I was not sure about quite a few people that I said then. But it's also, <laughs> it feels like there haven't been many people who've made the finals, but to get to 13 feels like he, I thought there'd be more crossover. Yeah, I just think it's because he was obviously in, he played in that era before, you know, Djokovic and Nadal arrived on the scene. So there was quite a few, like, Never solo names that, that came up. Yeah. Wow. Um, but yes. And that was Rafael Nadal. I've just looked it up, who beat uh, Thomas Burdick in straight sets in the 2010 Wimbledon Championship. Mm. So, well, there you go. I did get that one very wrong. <laughs> well, listeners, let us know how you did in Path for the Courts. Did you get 100%? I feel like there may be some Fed fans out there that did get um, full marks. So, uh, yeah, let us know. But we're going to be moving on to the Tennis Weekly mailbag now. We had Simon on email get in touch with us. And this is what he had to say. Hey, guys, here's a question for you. Hubert Herkage recently announced on social media that he intends to play mixed doubles with Igor. Sviontek at the Paris 2024 Olympics. What other pairings would you like to see step forward and play for their nation? What a great, what a great question. 
That is a good question. Shall I, shall I kick us off? Kick us, been... Go on, kick us off with some pairings that you would love to see happen, but you're not sure if they're actually going to materialise. I think that's very, very harsh because that's <laughs> the whole of my list, if I'm honest. Um, I've gone for um, uh, Radicanu and Jack Draper. You know, I just thought <laughs> oh my straight, word. St- straight from the Vodafone, oh, wow. straight from the Vodafone booth Love. in Wimbledon Q. I thought <laughs> they could pop on over after mm. they've made their appearance there for their sponsor. <laughs> um, I've got Holger and Wozniacki, of course. Oh, not Clara Torsen. I think they've said that they're, they're <laughs> aiming. They're aiming for it. I mean, if I was asking who I would prefer to play doubles with, I probably would have gone for Clara Torsen because I think she might Ooh. be. Ooh. A one-handed, a one-handed volley is okay. probably slightly Fair more enough. preferable. Yeah, I mean, if you can't win a doubles title with Serena, you might not be the best doubles player in the world. Um, like in Auckland in her send-off, uh, a, well, WTA tournament. <laughs> I've also gone for Asaka Nishikori. Oh. It is on clay though, so I'm a bit concerned mm, yeah. at that prediction. And then I've gone for some delightful choices of Rajiv Ram and Coco Goff going for a doubles. I uh, quite like that. Pair. That feels quite a. I feel ver- like that could that be feels a, gold a very medal. good mixed doubles type team. And what about a home team? I've gone for Garcia and Arthur Archer Fis. I thought mm. maybe, yeah. you know. Um, what about you though? Um, yeah, I Bublik and Rabakina. I think well, would that's be spicy. Co- that's two very, very different players. Co- very contrasting as well. You know, Rabakina, very ice queen on the tennis good court. Serves Bublik. The, the entertainer. So I think that could be quite a funny, interesting. An pairing. underarm serve from Rabakina. <laughs> uh, Sissipas and Zachary. Um, mm. Alcaraz. Well, I was thinking either Alcaraz and Badosa or Alcaraz and Muguruza. Ooh, I like the Muguruza option if we're going for things that won't happen. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe that's probably, yeah, it's probably be me and a bit of bit of uh wishful, wishful thinking, thinking yeah. yeah and the other one i had in, was my american pairing was actually jesse pagula and taylor fritz well um, that could, could be, be handy mm. i did also think of vondrusova and lehechka because i feel like that could be a very good combination because we know that vondrusova is pretty dangerous wherever she plays um but yeah a great question i think it will it's always surprising Always surprising what happens because it really does become a rankings scramble between the doubles. I, I can and never the make sense of like the calculations and the formulas they use for the Olympics. And am I? Are they only allowed one pairing per national? But there's, I think you, there are some entries one, for wild cards, mm, and it gets difficult with uh, when I think there's one. Uh, I think von Drusova managed to play the Olympics last time because. She used a provisional ranking, which meant yeah. that that oh, ranking yes. took Mukova out. Of so course. it all gets. Oh, yes, I remember that. It's a, yes. it's a spicy one when it comes to making the team, let alone playing. And then she took home a silver medal and took out Osaka. So all to play for. Yes, that was very good. Yeah, well, we'll have to we'll have to see. But yeah, there's some really. I think it's gonna be, it, the mixed doubles could be a real highlight. I think of the the Olympics. Uh, you know, next year it's uh, there's a lot of interesting pairings that that could come up. Um, Moving on, though, we do have a talking point, Chris, very quick one before we talk Rogers Cup. And this is the news that the US Open is going to be using video review technology for the 2023 tournament. Um, So this is going to be used to check double bounce situations. Um, It could check hindrance situations. Um, It could check touch situations at the net. Um, it's been used before in events like the Next Gen Finals and the ATP Cup, um, but we don't necessarily see it that much, to be honest, on the tour and even at Grand Slams, despite seeing controversies like double bounces still, I feel like, like plague matches sometimes. Um, so it's nice, I think, to hear that this is coming through to be used um, for all main draw matches on Arthur Ashe, Louis Armstrong, Grandstand, Court Number 5 and Court... 17 what are your initial impressions of this is this a good move is this a bad move are you for or against it i think i always say if you are able to provide 100 percent certainty or clarity then let's just avoid all of these um mis- whether it's a misunderstanding or a wrong call because we see human error so much on the tour this year especially um i don't think it's that difficult to get it right and i think if you have the technology why not use it um so for me this is a very positive thing um, and I think, you know, I wish it was there in 2009 in the US Open for Serena Williams because she did not hit a footfall. 
she could have gone. I'd like mm. that to be reviewed because she has never hit a uh, footfall. Uh, she really doesn't do it. And that call was truly wild at the time. And I think she probably would have won that match against Glyphers and won the title. So mm. it can have big, big effects, um, especially if you do then um, obviously say you're going to jam a, a, uh, a tennis ball down the throat of the lines person. That also can get you kicked out. <laughs> but it wouldn't have got to that is what I'm saying. Um, so for me, I always welcome when things like this come in because it might not be as fun from a spectator perspective but the nature is who's going to play the best tennis on the court and this helps the best person win the match yeah i can't decide if it's going to just like take suck the fun drama yeah suck the fun take the drama out of these matches and and create less talking points or actually yeah the handshake will be much nicer effect? joel you you'll hate it mm. you're not here for the handshake no i know exactly I, will it though could it create a new uh, a new type of drama um yeah I'd be in, i'm interested to see how it plays out i like i also like the idea you know the us open uh, audience is very rowdy and i wonder i would love to see like them say like you know chant like var var in the crowd um to get some sort of interaction maybe going um so i think there's there's dynamics there that could make it interesting but i do think you know it brings a clinicalness that is missing from the tour um at the moment and we're seeing i think a few too many of these instances that are leading to although they might not seem significant at the time are leading to match results that that have been turned on its head so um yeah i'm, I'm glad yeah. it's coming in i'm just a little bit maybe disappointed that it's only going to be on the kind of the all the main courts but i understand it's you know it's probably from a testing point of view and, and who knows maybe in the future we will get to a point where it's it can be rolled out on all the all the tennis courts potentially at, at a grand slam yeah i think that would be obviously the intention i think it's currently uh the only additional courts are court five and court 17. So there's still a chance, you know, if you're playing qualifiers, you might be able to say um, <laughs> it wasn't hindrance <laughs> before you get called on that. But um, no, I think, again, it's, it's something where, you, as you say, like so often some of these decisions by umpires can really change the way a match can go. So I think for that respect, although they each might seem quite insignificant, you know, like whether the ball passes through the net or over the net, I think... Um, that might not be the main reason this is being introduced, but I do think the peace of mind side of things will really help players. And maybe we'll see players be more honest if they know it's going to go to review. They'll just say, look, I did. It was a double hit or it was not up or it was this. And maybe it will actually kind of allow a bit more self-governance. You won't have to go as much to the technology um, because they know that the answer will be on the screen if it needs to be. So that could also be a nice touch. Yeah. And and it, it, I still don't, I still think it's going to be interesting in terms of understanding how it's going to be used in the sense of, uh, you know, is this Ostapenko a challenge? every point. <laughs> is this, yeah. How many, how many, op, how many opportunities are going to be, a, be able to get to go to, to VAR? Uh, is the umpire allowed to, to do it themselves or do they have to wait for the player to, to call upon it? Um, I still think there's, yeah, a few things that need to be netted out, but um, yeah, I think it's exciting to see it being brought in. Let's move on to the Rogers Cup. Uh, we've got a few minutes just to talk very quickly, Chris, about the men's and women's draws. Now, I think this is a bit, bit of a sort of funny um, tournament in the sense of the defending champions are Pablo Carreño Busta and Simona Halep. I feel like the less said about that, I'm going to have to that, change my predictions. I had them both to defend the titles. Is that not going to happen? <laughs> yeah, I don't don't think so. I think PCB's just been I, injured I for a long time. For He's... them on the draw list, I can't see them. Yeah. yeah, it's it's. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit it's a little bit awkward. I mean, we do have the the men's and women's draws. Let's very quickly look at the men's draws. We've got Carlos Alcaraz as the top seed. Daniel Medvedev is the second seed. Um, we've also got Kasper Ruud in there. Stefanos Sissipas making up the top four. Where have your eyes been drawn to in, in this draw? And there's no Novak Djokovic. He seems to I just be... I was going to say, my eyes have been drawn to Novak Djokovic's beard. And his beard. I was going to say, he's just been Benoit focusing on growing a beard. Yeah, exactly. I think I saw him also dancing in a nightclub in the rain or, or something. He's um, been on inflatables. He's ha- he's definitely not in Toronto, we can <laughs> confirm. No. Um, but yeah, where, where where have your eyes drawn to in this in this draw? I think that we could get a very interesting sort of Berrettini sinner clash. I think mm. that both of them are starting to play some good tennis. Um, I'd love to see Felix turn around this run of form he's had. 
Um, so for me, a lot of what I'm looking at is kind of these unknowns to see if whether someone can do, um, you know, a bit of a, a Dominic team and be inspired by the situation to raise their game um, and come through some of these matches. Um, I may not be a fan of the man, but Zverev has been playing very well in Hamburg. And so, um, well, I say not very well. He picked up the title. I didn't think he played very well, but I'd like to see where his level is at. Um, I mean, he's got reach score in the first round. I I, I actually think it's, I might have that on upset. It's going to be a, a really tough one. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, I think uh, Medvedev, seeing how he makes the transition to, to hard courts. But um, I do think it's such a shame when you don't get Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz in a draw. We have to wait. Uh, for that rematch of the Wimbledon yeah. final. Well, yeah, I think, you know, for Djokovic, he's always kind of like, I want to play Cincinnati because the conditions are more akin to the US Open versus it's, it's better the Rogers to play Rogers one, Cup. I honestly think it is. It's a bit like the Madrid-Rome mm. scenario from this year where yeah. you only need to peak once. I do. I am looking forward to, though, also Monfils versus Christopher Eubanks in the first round. I think that could be quite fun. Just generally, that second quarter to me is, is quite loaded. You've got Andy Murray, Lorenzo... Sonigo in there as well. Uh, Echeverry, Corda. We know Corda's pretty handy on a, on a hard court. So um, yeah, I think that second quarter is, is particularly where I'm looking. Um, moving on to the women's draw though, uh, we do have all the all the familiar names in there. We've got Igor Svantec as the top seed, Arena Sabalenka at the bottom of the draw as the second seed, Rabakina is your third seed, and Jesse Pagula um, is your fourth seed. Again, Chris, where are your eyes drawn in this draw? It's got to be Carolyn Wozniacki. I think uh, we've all been seeing the clips of her hitting with um, Holger. I think it's looking pretty good. I think she's. Um, I mean, she looks like she's in phenomenal shape. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how her game style translates to the tour now. I think there's a lot to be said for kind of um, a, a counterpuncher and a sort of um, one of those players who really he makes you beat them because I think a lot of players these days we see can beat themselves. So I think she's a fantastic competitor. I think she will get through her first round. But I do think that if she does face the Wimbledon champion Von Drusseva in the second round, I think that would be um, a step too far at this stage. But very tempted to see that one. I also think that um, Katie Bolter from a British interest. Mm-hmm. Came through qualifying. A, came through qualifying. But there's also a very tasty um, Ostapenka Je- uh, Jennifer Brady clash, which is going to be this evening. And Bianca. Wherever Bianca is, I'll watch. You know that. <laughs> well, I'm also excited by uh, Elena Svitolina has also got a qualifier. And that qualifier is Danielle Collins. Um, that feels odd, doesn't it? I, I know. She went it, feels, it feels really weird, doesn't it? I think. I think actually, Danielle Collins faced Eugenie Bouchard uh, in qualifying and, and came through. Grand Slam finalist versus Grand Slam finalist in a qualifying it's tough draw. to get a wild card if, wild. if you're a North American mm. at the National Bank Open. <laughs> Goodness, qualifying stacked. Mm. So uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to uh, yeah feast your eyes on. Um, before we leave, Chris, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to put you on the spot. Who are going to be your champions in Toronto and Montreal? That I want is... two names. I want two names. Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? I'm going to go Alcaraz uh, and Sviantec. Oh, okay. You've just copied my answers. I've gone, I've gone Alcaraz and Sviantec as well. It's hard not to go. Um, I also wrote brackets, maybe rude. So oh, okay. we could do that. Okay. I could do that. I'll, I'll say that one then. If you can, you can have Alcaraz. I'll say Casper's going to do it. Okay. Okay. Well, let's let's wait and see. But yeah, it's hard not to go with the top seeds. I feel feel like it's a bit of a feel like it's a bit of a a diplomatic answer. But um, yeah, let's let's wait and see. I just hope the weather um holds up uh, across <laughs> so the we week. We have a result to talk about next yeah, week, Joel. I know, right? I'm sort of thinking like, well, this is the advantage of two week Masters events. Uh, is that They've got more time to play with now than uh, these week-long Masters events because, you know, Cincinnati's just around the corner. So um, Does one of them have a roof? Montreal definitely doesn't. I think Toronto does. So maybe we send the WTA to Toronto. Am I right that in saying that? could be the answer. That? Yeah, exactly. That's plan B. That's plan B, if they have a roof. Um, <laughs> basically, get a roof, Canada. Canada, get a roof. <laughs> yes. Uh, listeners, I... <laughs> Let's end on that. But uh, Uh. listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode 
of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come from the ATP and WTA tours. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. At Tennis Weekly Pod is the handle. You can email the show tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back next Monday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our next tour catch up. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.